stopping in verse 20 of chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's by the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we come to your word this morning, that what we hear and see and consider would be something that also goes down into the heart and reaches us there and changes us and transforms us and renews us at the deepest center of our being. But we know that your word is powerful, that it divides between joint and marrow, that it understands the thoughts and intentions of the heart and that it is powerful enough even to change us there. So we ask you to do your wondrous work through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you go to a gym, you often go to a gym because you want to change your physical appearance or physical stature. When you go to a doctor, you go there because you want to consider your health and maybe change your health. You go to a nutritionist because you want to change your diet, change the way that relates to your health. Well, the question when it comes to thinking about and seeking change, which we often do in many areas of life, is how does real and lasting change at the deepest level take place in our lives? How does real and lasting change take place at the deepest level in our lives? Now, in answer to this question, the the culture around us offers many subtle and not so subtle answers. So, for example, if you could just modify your behavior, if you could just put into practice these five steps that I'm giving you now, if you could just stop doing these three unhealthy habits right now, then you will really change. Behavior, that's the key to change, is one answer. Or here's another answer. If you could just go to the right therapist, the right psychologist, get the right mental health diagnosis, take the right combination of kind of psychotropic medication, then you'll change, then everything will be better. It's therapy and medication. That's the key to change in one answer. Or if you would just read this book, if you just listen to what this expert on this podcast says, or if you just knew what I knew, then you would change. The right information is the key to change. Or here's another answer that we're often very tempted by. If I just lived in a different place, if I just had a different job, if I was just in a different relationship, if I just went to a different church, then I would change, right? Different circumstances is the key to change. Now, with each of these examples, there is a varying level of significance and influence that they do have on our lives. I don't want to deny that. My point in bringing them up is not to dismiss them altogether as if we should ignore these, we should reject these, as if these have no influence on our lives. So don't hear me saying that. My point in bringing them up is to show that each of them, in seeking to answer what brings true and lasting change at the deepest level, each of them all suffer from the same problem. They focus on the streams of life while failing to address the source of life. They look at the streams that flow from our life, but they do not address us right at the heart and source of life. If you want the very streams of your life to be working and functioning, healthily and wisely, 
then you must deal with life at its source, at its heart and center and core of your being. When you ignore the sources and you just deal with the streams, the best you can hope for is temporary, superficial modifications that do not produce real and lasting change. Now, to picture that, imagine this. So we're, we're in Jupiter right now. So imagine that in the town of Jupiter, and this, this is a hypothetical scenario, so don't get scared, okay? It's discovered that the drinking water has become toxic, okay? And people are getting seriously ill and some are dying from it. Okay, so let's say that's the issue going on. Well, let's say a, a press release is given by the town of Jupiter to address the toxic nature of the water that is poisoning and killing people. And it's a three-part solution. First part of the solution is every resident of Jupiter is going to get a paid vacation, okay? Because while they're on paid vacation, the town of Jupiter is going to replace all the underground water pipes that deliver the water to the different residents of Jupiter. And it's going to be state-of-the-art, pristine, clean, awesome water pipes. And to address the water issue, they're going to start flavoring the water with strawberry mango electrolytes. Okay, we sweat a lot in Florida. We lose a lot of electrolytes. We need it. And the water, people have been complaining how it tastes. Okay, that's the three-part solution. So when the project's done, when you come back from the paid vacation, what's changed, right? You're feeling refreshed from your vacation, right? You got a paid vacation, it was wonderful. You open up the mail and you realize that you have a massive tax assessment from the town of Jupiter to pay for all the water pipes. And the water that is slowly killing you tastes absolutely amazing. You've never had better water in your life. In one sense, some things have changed, but the thing that needed to change has not changed. It has not been dealt with at the source. Everything that was dealt with was a secondary matter, but the source has been left unattended to. Well, this brings me to the point of our passage today. In Proverbs, the father teaches his son where his focus needs to be. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow all the springs of life. In other words, if you want real, and lasting change, you must understand that wisdom is first and foremost a matter of the heart before it is ever a matter of practices and behaviors. Wisdom is a matter of the heart before it's a matter of anything else. So we're gonna kind of unpack the theme of the heart in the scriptures and what Proverbs teaches us about the wisdom we need to understand the heart. So wisdom is a matter of the heart, why? because the heart is central to who you are and what you do. The heart is central. So look again at Proverbs 4.23, but this time I'm gonna read it in the NIV, which I think does a very good job of capturing the emphasis and importance of this text. The NIV says, above all else. So before you consider anything, the most important thing you need to consider is guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So what the father's teaching his son and us through his son is that our hearts demand our closest, most careful, most constant attention because everything we do and think and feel and desire and say is affected by the condition of our hearts. The Christian life flows from the inside out, not the outside in. It flows from the inside out. So what determines whether you will drive angrily or patiently on a given day. Well, I'd like to think that it's the state of traffic, but I found out it's actually the state of my heart that determines whether I drive angrily or patiently. What determines whether you will be stingy 
or generous with your money. I would like to think that it's the state of the economy, but I actually found out it's the state of my heart that determines whether I'm stingy or generous. What determines whether you will be content or discontent in your station in life? I would like to think that it's my circumstances, right? If I could just change those, then, then, then it would be different. But it's not our circumstances. It's the state of our heart that determines whether we're content or discontent. If we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, why do people do what they do? Why do I do what I do? Here's an answer he actually gave to that exact question in Matthew 15, 19. In Matthew 15, he's dealing with a religious debate over what defiles and makes a person impure. And the Pharisees said, well, it's what you touch and taste and see and handle. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not what's outside that makes you unclean. It's actually what's inside. He said, out of the heart, out of the heart flows evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's not what is outside, but what's inside that determines your state. In other words, Jesus is saying, no one steals with the hands without first coveting in the heart. We steal with the hands because of what was in our heart. No one slanders with their speech without first harboring bitterness and resentment in their heart. Slander is bitterness and resentment in the heart going public. Theft is coveting in the heart going public, as it were. Jesus says later on in his ministry in Luke 6.45, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? We all have those times where we say something cutting or critical and we realize that was not good. And we try to backtrack. We kind of do a public PR campaign for ourselves. And we say, you know what? I didn't really mean to say that. And according to Jesus in Luke 6:45, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It would be more accurate to say, I actually really meant to say that. I just didn't mean for you to hear me say it publicly. That's true. So the Bible refers to the heart. It is the central, of who, the central part of who we are. It refers to it over 900 times. In Proverbs alone, it's over 90 times that the heart is referred to. In fact, in the first couple of chapters, we've heard it over and over and over again. What is the Bible describing when it describes the heart? Well, it's describing the inner spiritual immaterial part of you as a person who is made and created in the image of God. You have an inner, spiritual, immaterial part of you because you are created in the image of the invisible, immortal God. The heart is the real you, as it were. It's the essential core of who you are. It's the command center of your entire being. It is the headwaters of the whole of your life. Everything flows from your heart. Think about it like this. When we use the phrase like, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know them. I've really appreciated getting to know them. We don't mean that we enjoyed measuring their blood pressure, that we enjoyed seeing how tall they were or reviewing a brain scan or kind of evaluating their body mass index. That's not what we mean. Those are factual things. But when we say, I've enjoyed getting to know them, we're referring to that inner person, the heart of a person which is on display through their personality and their speech and their actions and their likes and their dislikes and their interests and their passions. We're talking about the heart because we understand innately that the heart is the real you. It is the central source of who you are. And because that's the case, all real and lasting change must start with the heart. So the heart is central. Now, second lesson from our 
passage and our look at the scriptures on the heart is that we need to understand that the heart is central, but also the heart is never neutral. The heart is never neutral. When Proverbs 4.23 says, guard or keep watch over your heart above all else, it's giving the picture of a soldier who is stationed and guarding the entrance to a castle and is the castle that rules over a kingdom. Now, if you know your fairy tales well, especially the legends of King Arthur, you know that inside every castle, there's one main room. It's the throne room, right? And in the throne room is one who sits on a throne. And whoever sits on the throne rules the kingdom that that castle belongs to. Our hearts are the throne rooms of our lives, which means that whoever or whatever occupies the throne of our hearts will rule and influence and direct the course of our lives. Now, it's critical that we understand that the throne of our hearts is never vacant. It is never unoccupied. There's never a sign on the throne of our hearts that says, be back in 15 minutes. It is always being occupied by someone or something. And Jesus makes this point in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know what rules your heart? Follow what you treasure, what you value most, what influences you the most, what occupies your time and attention and thoughts the most. That's where your heart is. That's what occupies the throne of your heart. And then Jesus goes on in this section in Matthew 6 to emphasize the impossibility of neutrality in the heart. There is no such heart like there is Switzerland, right? Switzerland can be neutral, but your heart cannot be neutral. Here's what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It is impossible to be neutral. Someone or something is always occupying the throne of our hearts. So based on what Proverbs says about the centrality of the heart and what Jesus says about the impossibility of neutrality in the heart, one of the most important questions we need to ask ourselves is what is functionally ruling my heart and influencing my behavior? What right now is functionally ruling my heart and influencing my life? Now here's some questions to help kind of peel back the onion layer of that and to dig a bit deeper. What values and desires most influence how I spend my time and money? So when you use your time, when you use your money, what is the why beneath what influences how you use it and how you spend it? That's an indication of what's on the throne of your heart. What stirs you up the most emotionally? Emotions are a great kind of thermometer on, on what the heart loves or doesn't love. What do you get the most excited and passionate about? What do you get the most frustrated and angry about? It's our excitement and even our uh, anger that can often indicate you really value this. What, what does the dog bark at, as it were? If you're feeling a sense of contentment and peace in life, what is the main thing you would point to and say, I'm at peace and content because I have that, or because this is that way? Or flip it around. You're feeling discontentment and anxiety. What is the thing you would point to and say, if only this were different, then I would be content and at peace? Whatever fills in the blank is often an indication of the thing that fills the throne of your heart. The heart is never 
neutral. And given that centrality of the heart and the lack of neutrality in the heart, our third lesson is that our hearts need renewal. One of the main messages of the Bible is that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the heart needs renewing. If we examine our hearts often enough and closely enough, if we keep peeling back the layers of the onion deep enough, we will discover some very disheartening facts. Apart from the grace of God, we are insurrectionists at heart. What I mean by that is the pride you see in your life, the self-centeredness, the the anger, the resentment, the bitterness that you sense in your life is your insurrectionist heart staging a hostile takeover, dethroning God and enthroning the self and said, life is about me and I want to be at the center. And I don't like when things don't revolve around me. We have an insurrectionist heart. And then another disheartening fact is that we live in a world filled with many different kinds of Trojan horses that parade before the castle of our hearts and we often fall prey to letting them in and thinking that they're harmless and wonderful gifts from the world. Now, if you don't know the story about the Trojan horse, it comes from you know, the, war, the War of Troy or whatever it was, where long battle going on for a long time and one army says, you know what, we're going to retreat. And when they retreat, they leave this big figurine of a horse, but inside that horse is hidden a bunch of soldiers. So the one army brings it in to the castle thinking, hey, this was a gift from our, I don't know why they thought that in the first place, but they did for the sake of the story. They bring it in and at night, the door opens in the bottom of the horse and all the soldiers come out and then attack them when they least expect it. This world is giving Trojan horses all the time. It's a wonderful gift. Here's a wonderful thing. This will satisfy you. This will give you security. And our heart, being the idle factory and the idle buying service that it is, says, come on in, come on in. And then we have to later deal with all the damage and disappointment that they wreak in our lives. All of this is a reminder, those famous words of that early church father, Augustine, our hearts will always be restless until they find their rest in God. That is one of the keys we need to understand when it comes to the satisfaction, the security, the rest of the heart. Or let's restate it in line with our study in Proverbs on wisdom. Our hearts will never truly follow after the wisdom of God until the God of wisdom occupies the throne of our hearts. It starts with the heart. And this is where the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ comes to bear on this matter. Our hearts need more than slight modifications and alterations. We don't just need a little bit of change in our diet. We don't just need to do this exercise program. If we understand our hearts correctly, we understand that they need a total transformation. What we're in need of is a heart transplant apart from Christ. And Jesus is the great physician. He is the only successful spiritual heart surgeon that exists in the universe. We can look for experts all over the world. My heart is hungry and thirsty. Could could you satisfy? Could you satisfy? And many people will say, yep, I I can do that. Jesus is the only one who can change it at the deepest level. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill those prophecies of the prophets that I will give you a clean heart and a new heart. I'll I'll remove that heart of flesh and stone and I'll give you a new heart. So what Jesus said in John 7, 38, he's talking to a bunch of hungry and thirsty people. And he said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about Proverbs 4, 23, that if you want rivers of living water to flow from your heart, you need to find your thirst can only be quenched Your heart can only be changed. Your hunger can only be satisfied in Christ. 
the gospel of God's love for us in Christ is the only antidote strong enough to take the toxic water that often flows from us and change it so it is soul-refreshing, life-giving streams flowing in our life. The grace of Jesus is the only thing powerful enough to subdue our insurrectionist self that wants to seat pride and self on the throne and instead exchange all of our empty idols for the living God. Jesus only can do that. You know, it comes to wisdom. I don't want you to make the mistake of, as we go through this series in Proverbs, thinking wisdom is merely a matter of mechanics. If I just had the right information, if I just had the right five steps, then I would be wise. Now, there's a place for the practicalities. But at its core, walking in wisdom requires a miracle. Walking in wisdom requires that the foolishness which is native and bound up our hearts would be changed because we are born again. We receive a new heart and we embrace and follow the God of all wisdom. This is a miracle that only the death and resurrection of Christ can affect. And so I'd ask you, have you experienced that miracle in your own life? If you haven't, then the first step is to go to God with a broken and contrite heart, which he will not despise. Go to him with a believing heart, which he loves and receives, and he will give you a new heart. Our hearts need renewal. Well, now our fourth lesson regarding the heart is that our renewed hearts, which we have as a gift of grace, need to be carefully guarded. They need to be carefully guarded. Look at Proverbs 4, 20 and 22. So we have the command in verse 23, guard your hearts above all. We have a description, out of it flow, the springs of life. But in verse 20 and 22, the father explains to his son, what does it look like to guard and watch over vigilantly and diligently your own hearts? So verse 20 to 22, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Now, if you notice the section, the father highlights kind of three important aspects of our spiritual anatomy. So he highlights the heart, which is the center, but then he highlights three other parts that are connected to it and related to it. So the first part of verse 20, he says, be attentive to my words or pay attention to my words. So he, he's highlighting the mind as that thinking and reasoning capacity of our soul. The mind is that spiritual aspect of our being where we think and ponder and meditate and reason. Well, then the second part of verse 20, he says, incline your ear to my sayings. So it doesn't just mean let the sound waves of my voice kind of echo through your, your mind. He means, spiritually speaking, take that listening information capacity of your soul and really hear and ponder what I'm saying. And then verse 21, the first part there, he says, let them not escape from your sight. So he highlights the mind, the ears, and then now he highlights the eyes, the, the seeing faculty of the soul, the imagining faculty, the gazing, beholding faculty of the soul. So he highlights the mind, the ears, and the eyes. Why? Because these are, by God's design, the, the gateways and the doorways into the heart. These are the the access points, the entry points into the castle where your heart is housed in the throne room. So in the castle, heart in the throne room, there is three entry points to influence your heart. The things you ponder in the mind, the things you listen to with your ears, and the things you gaze upon with 
your eyes. Whatever you let in through those gateways and doorways will exert a shaping influence on your heart for health or for harm. This world is filled with shaping influences and the three gateways we have for those shaping influences, the mind, the ears, and the eyes, and whatever comes in through those doors exercises an influence on our hearts. So think of it like how our physical diet works. We have you know, this digestive capacity in our physical being where we take in food. And what we take in affects how we feel, what our, our physical makeup is. So for example, recently, our family this summer, we went on a longer extended vacation, three-week vacation. And vacations are mainly just driving between eating out destinations, right? You just get, what are we gonna eat for breakfast? What are we gonna eat for lunch? What are we gonna eat for dinner? We went to Bucky's multiple times. We, we refused no snack that they offered us there. I had ice cream almost every night, just, just, and then dessert after ice cream, because ice cream is really part of dinner in my opinion. <laughs> had dessert, and then just, we just kept eating. And we come home three weeks later, and I come to find out that someone had shrunk my clothes while I was gone on vacation. <laughs> Okay, And on top of that, I wasn't sleeping as well as I normally do. My energy was much lower than it usually is. And my mental focus and sharpness was uh, dwindling quite noticeably. And I realized, like, it's probably because I, I, I ate what I was eating. So I made a drastic change to my diet coming back from vacation. And in that drastic change, it made a noticeable change in my health. And so I, I kind of sat down all my bluebell ice cream and, and just said, you guys, it's not really you, it's me. And we need to start seeing other people. And same thing with pizza. And... But I, I was realizing in my physical health, I'm not, I'm not 25 years old anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting older. And there was a, a noticeable effect in when I wasn't being careful, the harm it was doing to my, my body physically. And then when I changed it, there was a noticeable effect in how it was increasing my health. What we eat, its quality and quantity, has a shaping influence on our physical health, right? Likewise, God has designed it, spiritually speaking, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, has a shaping influence on your spiritual health. It influences your heart. So if we spend an inordinate amount of time browsing this sale, perusing those products, strolling through that storefront website, is it any surprise that we often struggle with consumerism and materialism and discontentment? If we scroll for hours on end through social media, seeing what this celebrity is up to, looking at that vacation that that friend went on or, or looking at that extravagant, beautiful remodel of their second home in Barbados that they did, is it any wonder that we struggle with envy and jealousy and discontentment? If all of our free time and more is spent drinking in endless streams of shallow, superficial media, is it any surprise that we have shallow, superficial hearts? Now, I'm not trying to smuggle in legalism through the back door and say that all these things are inherently wrong, and so if we would just together form an Amish community, everything would be better, okay? I'm not saying that. Although sometimes I do think it's really appealing what they have there, right? See, I can see you. Some of you believe that. What I am saying, though, is perhaps a problem we need to consider in regards to our spiritual diet is that we're eating too much quantity of the wrong kind of quality. That's what I'm saying. Consider if you're eating too much quantity of the wrong kind of quality because wisdom calls us to go beyond asking just the question, is this sinful or not sinful? Right? Sometimes we think, is it sin or if it's not? And if we've answered that question, then we're all good and we're set to go. Wisdom requires us to go further and deeper. 
Wisdom calls us to ask, is this healthy or unhealthy? Is this good? Is this better? Is this best? Wisdom makes us dig deeper. The best thing the father highlights for the son, the best thing for the mind that God has given to us is to meditate on the word he has spoken to us. The best thing for the ear to hear is the sweet sound of amazing grace that rings and echoes forth throughout the scriptures. The best thing for the eyes to behold is the height and breadth and length and depth of the loveliness of Christ. That is soul-expanding, heart-enriching food. That will bring health to the heart. That kind of healthy diet not only expands the heart, increases its health, but it also functions as a guard of the heart, right? He says, guard your heart above all else. That's why he says, careful what you think, what you see, and what you listen to. Because what we feed those things with will serve as the guard of our hearts. When God's word is pondered and listened to and gazed upon, it becomes the best kind of security system for the soul, guarding the castle of our hearts. There is no watchdog like the word of God hidden in our minds and our eyes and our ears. Right? It stands guard at the gateway of our hearts. When we have it sharpened and thought about and deeply pondered, it is at the gateway of our hearts ready to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. It stands ready to siphon and filter every message that would come in to chew the meat and spit out the bone. And it stands ready to shield our imagination from all the enticing images that the world would say, look at this, see this, be like this, desire this. When the word of God is is neglected, set aside, what we functionally have as the watchdog of our hearts is a chihuahua. It is the, the wimpiest, tiniest dog that intimidates no one. But when we have the word of God, What's the, what's the best dog I know? Oh, it's like a husky, right? I just saw a husky the other day when I was driving and I thought I, don't wanna, I wouldn't cross the same side of the street as a husky. The word of God is that intimidating watchdog that stands ready to guard us from all the things that would seek to be, exert a shaping influence on our heart. So how is your diet? What is the quality and quantity of the food that you are feeding your mind and your ears and your eyes? How is your spiritual security system? Do you have a good watchdog guarding the gateways of your heart. Hearts need to be carefully guarded. And then finally, very briefly, our hearts need constant reminding. So they need to be carefully guarded, but one of the things they need is constant reminding. Throughout Proverbs, especially these early chapters, there is a lot of repetition. The father keeps saying to his son over and over, the same thing in the same way or the same thing in different words. He's repeating himself. Why is the father continually drilling the same lesson over and over again, the importance of the heart, for example. Well, it's no mistake. Proverbs is intentionally making a point about how we acquire wisdom, how we grow in wisdom. Wisdom requires constant maintenance. Wisdom requires constant maintenance. You know, for example, let's say you have a pool in your house and it's, it's new, it's ready to go, you fill it up with water and when the water comes in right away, it's fresh. It's clean, it's clear, it's pristine, it's wonderful to swim in. And let's say you say, well, because the water, when it was initially filled, was clean and fresh and wonderful, I can just leave it alone and do whatever I want. What happens within 30 seconds of the sun shining on that pool in Florida? The chemical makeup starts changing. There's bacteria that's building up. There's algae that is wanting to grow. Every part of Florida wants to turn back into a a swamp, an algae-filled swamp, okay? (laughs) 
Your pool requires constant maintenance. You're constantly testing the chemicals, rebalancing them. Wisdom requires constant maintenance. A heart once instructed in the ways of God's wisdom is not set for life. You cannot coast. Reinforcement, repetition, reminder are tools everyone needs to carry with them at all times. Due to the nature of our hearts, fickle, foolish, wandering, straying things that they are, we must constantly learn, relearn, and learn again what God has told us in his word. And God knows our frame, which is why he repeats himself over and over to us. And so, in order to repeat myself to you by way of reminder, wisdom is a matter of the heart before it is ever a matter of the practices and behaviors. Why? Because the heart is central. It is the center of who you are. It is why you do what you do. And also, because the heart is never neutral. Whoever sits on the throne of your heart will govern and influence the direction of your life. And because of this, because the heart is central and not neutral, the heart needs renewal. Only the grace of God in the gospel is powerful enough to give us new hearts and make us new creations. For our hearts to grow, then that are new in the spiritual health, they need careful guarding and constant reminding. Wisdom is a matter of the heart. If we would walk according to the wisdom of God, the God of wisdom must rule and govern our hearts. Let's pray.